Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. The sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. The sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. The sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. You know, our Bible tells us a narrative in Judges chapter 2 about how Israel served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua and the elders that even outlived him who had experienced the provision and the power of God in the wilderness. But the story goes on and says, but the next generation fell away from the Lord. They had not experienced or seen the power of God for themselves. And because of that, they were pulled away. They were pulled away. They they, they were pulled away into idolatry. And they were pulled away underneath the weight of wickedness. You see, when one generation encounters God deeply through revival and the revival experience, and they turn to God, and they turn to God in radical repentance, they turn to God in brokenness. And when this happens, there's this spiritual transformation that takes place over their life where they love God without withholding nothing. And they serve him with this furious, fiery zeal. And when they raised their kids, they raised them with the intent of raising them in this revival fire Therefore, setting the standard high, expecting out of their children a deep level of conviction and conformity. I'm going to go somewhere. Joshua and the elders and the children of Israel of one generation experienced the presence and the power of God among them. But after Joshua was gone, there was no longer anyone to tell the story. After all the elders was gone, there was no one to tell the story. And a generation rose up that did not know the Lord. 
The sons of Eli were the sons of Bilal. They knew not the Lord. You see, the challenge that lays before us in the church of America is that we are losing a generation. Some say millions. I don't know the numbers. I, I haven't had time to, to, to work all of that up. But we also know that there are millions or hundreds of thousands of this generation that are coming to Christ. But the point I want to work on and press on is that everybody say the next generation. The next generation did not experience God on the same level as the previous generation. Or let me say it like this. If they do not experience God on the same level or a greater level, then they begin to perceive that the convictions of their parents is legalistic and judgmental against their generation. You see, hear the preacher today. Because one generation has this amazing, deep, fiery encounter with God. Because of that, then their relationship with God is born out of deep conviction Repentance, consecration, holiness, giving God everything and loving him with everything they have, withholding nothing, and they're going hard after God. And then the next generation rises up, and those that have been born in the fire then, then just believe that they're going to pass that on to the next generation. If they can get them even to come to church, if you can get them to come to church, they'll experience God. I, 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 Lord, help me, to, help me, help me, Lord. I, I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. And, and, and so the point is being is because what those that are first generation encounters those that are first generation revivalists if you are not careful then you will begin to you will begin to just think that that's automatically going to come on your kids but what happens if they do not have their own personal encounter with Jesus and with the power of the Holy Spirit, they don't understand conviction. They don't understand that you're raising the level for them. You're raising the bar for them because you know they're called for such a time as this to burn in the fire of God. They, they, And so obviously, we have a sly devil, and he's going to work on that. He's going to work on it. I just come, I come to lay something. Let us think this thing through just a little bit this morning. See, when the enemy begins to get into work on the minds of our children... Because the church does not offer them an opportunity. 
to have a real genuine encounter with God. But what this does in the next generation is that it, it, it leads them into what is called deconstructionism. Deconstructionism in, in, in the Christian faith is a process that someone goes through because they have questions. Nothing wrong with having questions. We should allow our children to ask questions. Nothing wrong with asking questions. But deconstructionism really isn't just about asking questions. It's born out of doubt. I doubt what my parents are telling me is true. I doubt what my church experiences is true. It's born out of doubt, which ultimately leads a generation to reject certain aspects of the Christian faith. Now, there is, there is an authentic search for truth. But unfortunately, most of those that are involved in deconstructionism really aren't trying to find truth. They're trying to form truth to fit the uncomfortable biblical realities that challenge their generation's culture. Somebody better hear the preacher. How many know that there are uncomfortable biblical realities that are difficult sometimes to wrap your mind around and especially an unredeemed, unspirit-filled uh, generation, they themselves. And so what happens is they feel uncomfortable with, with the first generation level of conviction, understanding, and truth. Because in my culture, that's archaic. In my culture, that really doesn't fit. And, and we've danced all around it today. We all know that, that, that truth is under attack. And, and what we have to understand is deconstructionism is the gateway to the apostate church or to progressive Christianity. In other words, I don't want to throw away my belief that Jesus is the Savior. I just got to get rid of some things that tells me that I can't live a certain way and still be saved. They are uncomfortable realities. Nobody likes to talk about hell. It's an uncomfortable reality. No one wants to talk about sin, especially sexual sin. No one wants to talk about adultery and fornication and homosexuality. But the truth is, is we cannot afford to let down the Christian standards just to hold the interests of people who want to go to hell and still be a part of the church. A.W. Tozer. 
But really what I've come to, to push on today is, is this, is that we really need, look, look, the lack of spiritual experience is a key factor in what I'm calling this morning the generational slide. I've come today to stop the generational slide. Religion without power cannot compete with the seduction of the age. So this is one of the keys to generational revival. I know I preach on this a lot, but I just couldn't get away from it. When someone has had a genuine experience with God, to the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. There is no amount of debate that will change their mind. I'm talking about our children. I'm talking about our teenagers. I'm talking about our young adults. I'm talking about a culture that is filled with people that are looking for the right moment to debate truth. But once you've had an encounter, you don't debate truth. Once you have an encounter, you know truth. It's like the blind man in, in, in John chapter 9. He was blind and, and Jesus went by and healed him. And then the disciples are debating, well, 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 why was he born blind? Was it his sin or the sin of his parents? And Jesus wasn't even concerned with that. Jesus just healed the man and brought sight to him. And then the, and then, then the, the, the religious people brought the, the blind man in, brought the blind man's parents in and tell us who healed you. He said, I don't know who healed me. I don't even know who he is. I I don't know who healed me. And they tried to talk him out of it. Are you sure? You, I mean, you it's an undeniable miracle. But here's the deal. He's, he's, no matter what they talked about, no matter what they threatened him with, all he could say is all I know is I was blind, but now I see. Oh, God's getting ready to release an anointing on a generation. And they're going to say, I don't know. I don't understand. One moment I was blind, but now. I see. A man with an experience is never at the argument of a man with an argument. So here's here's the truth, simple but a truth. The next generation always needs an encounter. Paul pushed on this. Every generation needs an encounter for themselves. Paul was strong on this. Talked about those who had a form of godliness, 
but deny this power. Okay, this brings us back to our text. Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial, and they knew not the Lord. Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. The sons of Eli, the first thing I wanted to know was, who are the sons of Eli? Hopni and Phineas was their names. Eli is the high priest. He lived in the house of God. He was there all the time. Eli. The sons of Eli are those that were groomed, mentored, brought up in the priesthood. They were around it all the time. Who knows, they may even slipped up close to the ark. We're talking about the tabernacle of David. We're talking about the tabernacle. We're talking about the tabernacle in Shiloh. And Eli was the priest. His, his claim to fame was, y'all remember when, when Hannah went, went, went to the tabernacle, Hannah, and she's crying out because she's barren and she can't have children and she's crying out and she's so overwhelmed that she's moving her mouth but words aren't coming out because she's so overwhelmed, uh, uh, overwhelmed with, with the burden of not having a child. And, and Eli, Eli, Eli walks up to her and says, hey, are you drunk? You're moving your mouth but there's no words coming out of your mouth. And then she explained him the burden of the Lord that she carried and, 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 he, and, and she said this. She said this. I am not a daughter of Belial. That I would be drunk. And he blessed her. He said, God has heard your prayer. Go. And we know the story. She conceived and had a child, had a son, and his name, Samuel. Fast forward now, and we're talking about the sons of Eli. We're the sons of Belial. Let me, let me stop here before I go on, because I think we need a greater understanding of what it means to be the priest in the home. Eli was the priest. The responsibilities of a priest were to minister unto the Lord in worship, was to offer the sacrifices of the people, and was to speak blessing over the people. This were the three primary assignments of the priest. Can I submit something to you? And, and I have done this many years, and I've talked about, and I've challenged husbands, and I've challenged men to be the priest of your home. But have you ever thought about the fact that that phrase, priest of your home, is not in the Bible? It's nowhere in the Bible. It's nowhere in the Bible that says we're to be the priest of our home. No, what the Bible does tell us is that every man and every woman that are in Christ are priests 
unto the Lord. I don't mean to step on anybody's tradition and I don't want to lose you right now because I got somewhere else to go. But you need to understand this because we have spent all our time putting this burden on men and saying, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. In reality, no, no, no man has to, has to be the head of the house by himself. No man has to be the priest in the house. He has to be a priest in the house. It's just difference between priests of your home and in your home. What our family really needs is not just for us to kick the door open and want everybody to serve us, but we sit back in our lazy boy and ask everybody to serve me. I'm the head of the house. I'm in charge. Oh, you just think you're in charge. You're not really in charge. But that's beside the fact. That's just reality. But let me just say it like this. Because you see, we want to be in charge. Being the priest in the home is not about being in charge. It's about being responsible. Yes. Priest of the home. Sounds like everybody's there to serve you. But priest in the home means I understand my role as a man of God and as a husband, but mostly as unto the Lord. Because I'm not just priest in my home. I'm priest at my job. I'm priest at the grocery store. I'm priest at the bank. Anywhere I go, I am a priest in Christ. Yes? It's called, it's called the priesthood of the, all believers. Priesthood of all believers. The Old Testament anticipated it. When God said to his people on Mount Sinai, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. Isaiah said it like this. You will be called the priest of the Lord and you will be spoken of as ministers of our God. In the New Testament, Peter said, you also, as living stones, are being built in a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. First Peter 9, he said, you are a chosen race, a royal generation, a holy nation, a people of God's possession, the own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. And the book of Revelation closed it up and said, you have made them to be kingdoms of priests of our God and they will reign upon this earth. I just come to tell you something. Hey, instead of just trying to be the boss of your house, why don't you just submit yourself to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and be who he has called you to be? Well, I don't know what that means. I'll tell you what it means. As a priest, you have direct access to God. As a priest, you minister unto the Lord. As a priest, you teach your family how to worship. You teach your family how to praise. Don't be barking orders if you can't submit yourself to the king of glory. If you find your place as priest in the home, you will understand spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices, not, not, not the blood of the goats. That's, we don't have to do that anymore in Christ. But there's a sacrifice of prayer and praise and thanksgiving. Repentance and justice and kindness and love. 
We're to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Christ. Fathers, they need to see us to sacrifice as a way of life. Spiritual sacrifice. I got to move on. And then the last one is prophetic proclamation. The priest stood and proclaimed the blessing of the Lord upon the people of God. They were God's mouthpiece. My wife said it, your voice has power and authority. The royal priesthood is a proclamation of his excellencies. Learn to speak blessing over your children. Learn to speak blessing over your grandchildren. You can do it in a formal way or you can do it in an informal way. You can just put your hands around them and just declare how much you love them and how wonderful they are and how bright and brilliant and blessed they are. Makes them uncomfortable, but it's fun. I'm just talking about, can we shift this thing from just being priest of the house to being priest in the house? The sons of Eli were the sons of Bilal. Couldn't I get away from that phrase? I'm thinking, what, what happened? Where did it change? Where did they cease to be the sons of Eli and become the sons of Belial? You see, that may not mean anything to you as I, as I begin to contemplate that and I begin to, begin to dig into this thing and try to get a better understanding. Because, okay, I think I've got a good idea. The sons of Eli are, are, are the sons that were groomed, the sons that, that were mentored, the sons that had been brought up in the house of God, the sons that knew what it meant to do with the sacrifice of the people. They knew what it meant to be holy and righteous and pure. They, Eli, no, there's no one in the Bible that says Eli was a wicked man or Eli had done wicked things. But somewhere along the way, something shifted and something turned. Something went terribly wrong. The sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. Belial is mentioned. It's a Hebrew word we understand. It's mentioned 20 times in the Old Testament, one time in the New Testament. The word is translated ungodliness, wicked, worthlessness, lawlessness, rebellion. Some say it is the personification of all those things that I mentioned above. Some believe in this, this is that the spirit of Belial is the driving force behind the sons of Belial. They had become human agents who were willfully giving themselves over to compromise and corruption without remorse and without conscience. They took on the very life and the characteristics of Belial. Many believe Belial is, 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 is a, a strong principality and a power. Some believe it is a gateway spirit. 
And that it can has the, 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 the power when it's manifested and when it is controlled to open the doors of, of spirits like uh, Jezebel and Python. And because and, and it's so historic, it goes way deep in, in Israel's relationship with God, Belial. It drove them somewhere along the way. They yielded to Belial. The sons of Eli yielded to Belial. When you're the son of somebody, you become under their control, under their grooming, under their mentoring, under their fathering. Somewhere they slipped and slid from being under Eli to being under Belial. God help me preach this. What's interesting to me about this is that Eli in the Hebrew can translate to mean to ascend high in God. The sons of Eli had the character of God of Eli in them, so they were ascending to a high place in God. But something happened. Something turned this thing, and they were no longer under the influence of Eli, but now they were under the influence of Belial. The Satanic Bible gives the definition of Belial, and it's called without a master. It idolizes independence and self-sufficiency and personal accomplishment. You see, somewhere along the way, the sons of Eli were seduced into self-gratification. And because they gave themselves over to self-gratification, they took on a worthlessness and they took on a non-productivity. Because Belial wants to kill anything that is fruitful. See, see, you, you, maybe, you, maybe you don't know the story. The scripture I read to you, the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They did not know the Lord. They had some issues. They had issues with perversion. And they had issues with greed. One of their responsibilities as the priest was to receive the sacrifice of the people. They would bring, and they would take the choicest meat, and they would sacrifice it unto the Lord, and they would take the leftovers. But Hopna and Phineas thought it would be a much better idea if they would take the best and give the leftovers to God on behalf of the people. I'm talking about two men born raised in the house of God. 
but they were locked into perversion because the Bible said they began to sleep with the women that would come to serve in the tabernacle. This went deep and this got dark real quick. It got to the point where Eli was oblivious, it seems. But the people began to bring accusation because they were so dark and so deep, they didn't even hide it anymore. This, this is not a message you'll hear very often because it does not have a happy ending. There is not a victory shout at the end. But I'm going to preach it anyway. Because we've got to get this because a generation hangs in the balance. Because Belial is still alive and Belial is still operating and Belial has his sights on a generation. If, if anything, with this, this narrative is, is a cautionary tale. It's a story that gives us a warning that it is possible for our kids to grow up in church and not know the Lord. And because they do not know the Lord, they are susceptible to a spirit called Belial who will bring them to a place of wickedness and worthlessness. Do you see people that are, that are, that are swallowed up in wickedness walk around with their head down? You want to know why? Because they have no sense of worth. They, there's no, they sense no value of their life. It is a diminishing destiny spirit that takes the life out of an individual and says you have nothing worth living for. You have nothing to offer. You have nothing to give. So go ahead and give yourself over to perversion and to wicked. Pastor Kim hit it on the head. So what we were witnessing earlier are broken people who wickedness has ripped from them the dignity of who God created them to be. But I have come to tell you that same spirit is trying to smother revival fires out of a generation. So so I'm going to hurry. The question that kept haunting me, and that's why I had to, to do this, I kept trying to put it aside and said, Lord, I've talked about generational revival. I've talked about, you know, all of that many times. God, we, I got, can you give me a fresh something? But listen, I feel something because I feel something escalating in the spirit. The question that I couldn't get away from is what went wrong? God in his mercy sent a man of God to Eli to prophesy to him, to tell him, your sons are messing up. It needs to stop. I need you to take care of this, Eli. And all of this is going on. All this drama is going on. And then here's Samuel. Over and over again in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And Samuel was growing. And Samuel was growing. And Samuel was growing. Eli is grooming him. Eli is mentoring him. Eli, 
Probably they're giving him the same revelations, the same teachings that he gave Hopni and Phineas. But Samuel, Samuel's receiving, he's growing, and he's growing, and he's growing. He's hearing the voice of God. He's hearing what God is saying. And one night, we know the story that God shows up to Samuel. And Samuel says, Les Lord, here am I. Your servant is listening. And he says, Samuel, I, I, this is what I'm going to have to do. I just got to let you know, son, I'm getting ready to bring judgment upon you. Eli's house. I'm getting ready to bring judgment on Eli's uh, on Eli's uh, um, uh, priesthood. I'm getting ready to bring judgment upon that. I'm getting ready. And he said, now I want you to know something. I'm getting ready to do this. And watch this in chapter, I don't have time to go there, but in chapter 3 of Samuel verses 11 through 13, you see the narrative play out. And one of the last things he told him, he said, I had put a curse on his sons. He said, I put a curse on his sons and he did not rebuke them. What went wrong? Eli did not rebuke them. What he tried to do was reason with them. He said, boys, let's have a family meeting. I've heard what you've been up to and we can't keep doing this. Just got to stop. But they did not stop. They were heavy under Belial. But he did not rebuke them. Isn't one of the hardest things to do it's when we know our children are really messing up. We know that we have taught them right. We know that we have loved them right. We have raised them in church. They know truth. But Belial has seduced them. Apparently, Eli didn't understand the urgency, but God did. So he reasoned with them, but he did not rebuke them. He didn't want to offend his boys. These are my boys. I've taught them. I've groomed them. They know what this is. They know what this is all about. But he did not rebuke them. What does that mean? That means he didn't take it to the next level because what he should have done was pulled them out. And you're still my boys, but I can't, you can't let you play like this in the house of God. My God, I must be pressing on something right now. 
I'm going to tell you something, moms and dads, and I know this is dad's day, but I couldn't get to get away from this. I just got to let you know something. Stop trying to reason with your wayward kids. Stop. Don't even listen to me. Don't even reason with the ones that are on track, doing right, looking good. You don't have to reason with them. You are the priest in the home, and you've got to rebuke them if you have to speak to them truth and love. Because it's the only thing that will break the spirit of Belial off them. I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing well with this. Can I give you a quote from a portion of one of the messages by Prophet Tommy? I couldn't get away from it. He said this. It's not a prophecy. He was just preaching. He said this. For the last two or so decades, the American church has been in a soft, superficial place of silence and neutrality because we don't want to offend people. But Jesus, who came with a sword, is called the rock of offense. What will you do with that? The normal church says, use wisdom and not offend others. Meanwhile, much of American church is infected with a grossly immorality, immorality and worldly antichrist culture that continues defacing the image of God and changing the gender of our children and killing them in the womb, continuing to yawn in a sleepy state of God's will and intention. God, have mercy on us. In the quote, and I say, God, have mercy on us. Can I speak to you parents today? Can you understand that Belial is working in all different directions? He's coming after our children. He's coming after our children. And he's coming after them because they have been raised in righteousness. Oh, nobody heard that right there. See, we think if we raise them in righteousness, the devil will let them alone. But I'm telling you, when you put revelation on the inside of a child and they're carrying destiny to be a world changer, the Belial will come after them. So Belial is strategic in that he's trying to teach our boys that they're girls and our girls that they're boys. Look at me. It's not going to go away. And it's not going to get better. Quit waiting on the right president to be voted in. The only thing that's going to change it is the righteousness of God being manifested through his church. Belial is having his way. He is a sneaky one. We thank God. I thank God for what he's doing in our children. Heard the amazing report from camp. It was amazing. So many kids saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit and refilled in the Holy Spirit. Having spiritual encounters. That's like sets off an alarm. 
to hell. Don't think you can flow by, mom and dad, because you're in a revival church. This thing is real. It's not a conspiracy theory. When you start taking kids to pride parades, when you start taking kids to transsexual, uh, all kinds of, uh, uh, what do they call them, drag queens and all that kind of stuff going on, and parents are, are taking their kids into that. You know what the plan is, right? The plan is to normalize perversion. The plan is to raise up a generation in the church that says it's okay to be gay. It's okay to be a drag. It's okay to be a boy and want to be a woman. Don't feel bad. It's okay. They're wanting to normalize it so the church will bow to it. They're coming after a generation. They're trying to groom them to settle for unrighteousness. But there's got to be a church. This says not on my watch. Be Belial, not on Can I get some help? I'm almost done. The guy was coming on all sides. Disney has gone dark. Nickelodeon has gone dumb. You say it doesn't even make sense. I know that's the crazy thing. Anybody that's got even a half a brain. Then why is it gaining traction? Beguile. Belial. 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 Second Corinthians six fifteen, and I close. Paul asks a rhetorical question. It is, what harmony has Christ with Belial? What harmony, what agreement, what symphony does Christ have with Belial? The answer is none. The church in Christ has no relationship with Belial. I'm going to say something profound, right? Are you ready? The only way to keep Belial out is to keep Belial out. Somebody's got to see him for who he is. Somebody's got to understand. Oh, as much as we get mad at the crazy, perverted, sexual people, and as much as it rubs us the wrong way, they are not our enemy. They are to be loved. They are to be witnessed to. They are to be set free. They are to come to Christ and find grace and mercy. But there is a spirit behind them that somebody has got to speak to and tell it, let them go. So the only way to keep Belial out is to keep Belial out. Because if you look at the context of that scripture sooner or later, it gets into this thing called separation. 
I decree that this is a generation. This is a generation of separation. We're raising up a generation that understands we don't have to be a part of that. It doesn't make you bigoted. It doesn't make you intolerant. No, it makes you righteous. Because the pressure is going to begin to be applied. I know you think you live in the school district that it'll never come into. And I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. But it's coming to a school close to you. I, I, mean, I, like, I understand. I got three grandkids. I've got one or two that's going to get me in school. And I understand right now it looks pretty good. But you never know. You never know. Belial is seductive. Belial in the middle is the word lie. It'll lie to you. It makes you think nothing's going on. Paris, wake up. Somebody's got to tell Belial, no, it stops here. You know what we need? There's a generation of separation and we need a generation of saturation. Last point. You can't get your kids in enough God. I'm going to say it again. You can't get your kids in enough God. You can't get them to church enough. You can't get them to world changers enough. You can't get them to kids camp enough. You can't get, they are going to have to be saturated. Everybody stand up on your feet because I'm going to say this. And, I, and this is what I feel so strong in my spirit. Like never before, it's going to take both dads and moms to pull this generation through. Oh, y'all ain't hearing what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it's going to take Pentecostal parenting. It's not, you're not going to be able to slide through this thing with no Holy Ghost on you. It's going to take Pentecostal parents. It's going to take Pentecostal parents. It's going to take parents full of the Holy Ghost, full of discernment, full of the gifts of the Spirit. Ain't nobody hearing what I'm talking about right now. It's time to pull out all the stops. It's time for everybody to show up for the battle. It's the day that moms do it all is over. And the day that dads do it all is over. It's going to take both coming together in agreement to tell Belial, not in my house. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.